I'll be reading to us this morning from 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Oh, I'm not, I'm sorry. It's not fair, but I, it was there. It was a gift. It was set up for me. Uh, friends, if you were not on our Facebook group this week, you've, you've missed the most popular post in the history of Sinclair. Anyways, we, I should probably teach for us. Uh, it's good to be with you. I got that out of the way, so I can move on. We are talking, we are talking, we're talking about recovering our life. Uh, and we've been looking at our practices, the things that hold us and keep us, the things that define us, that give expression to us as the people of God, uniquely as St. Clair. And today we're talking about what it is to recover your life through generosity. And I think I could say it about each one of our practices. Actually, I probably would, but this one really matters. Uh, I think in, in a time like this, it's, it's given Jen and I pause to look again at our own finances and pray and ask and say, Lord, how can we be generous you know, above and beyond the ways that we that we already try to be. They're just, it seems to be the right moment, the right time to ask ourselves again, how do we be a generous people? I mean, generosity is about dealing with money, but it's it's more than just money. It, it is about time. It is about resources. Really, generosity is a posture of giving away what is most precious to us for the sake of someone else. That's, that's the, the holistic, the biggest sense that we want to talk about generosity, though it, it does actually often mean something for the money that we have, the lot or the little that we have. How we choose to be generous is intrinsically tied to how we experience the gospel. 
And I think we'll, we'll see that a bit more clearly as we look again at the scripture reading for us. In a world that's freaked out by scarcity, it is probably fair to say we are a culture that's bent on control. And in this time, we find that we have very little control. Uh, and so there's this sort of fundamental reorientation, I think, that is taking place or could take place. I think you see that sense of control being challenged very clearly in how we approach our spending. Because it's, it's challenging the illusion that the money and possessions can ensure our safety and desire. And as a society, I would say, and I've, I've heard others say this, that we've been coasting on peace and affluence and now our economy and our ecosystem is being exposed as hurting and hobbling. And so there needs to be a fundamental shift from the I, me, mine to the we, us, our. And I think the church plays a critical role in demonstrating that way of being. I've been struck Again, reading through the accounts of the church in the book of Acts, the early church, I've just been struck at how significant the place of money is in relation to the effectiveness of the gospel. It just, it seems to show up a lot. Acts 2, it says, the believers, they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Acts 4 says, no one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Acts 5, Peter says, that Satan has filled the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira because they were dishonest about how much they were giving to the church. Acts 6, the church had to go through this huge organizational restructuring, a shift in their leadership in order to ensure that they could continue to serve the least of least, that the poor would not be neglected. Acts 8, Peter rebukes someone who thinks that they can get a blessing from God for their own use by just giving the right amount of money. In Acts 10, the Holy Spirit first came upon Gentiles, those who were non-Jews, through a man who was known for giving generously to those in need. I don't... I. <laughs> And I think the list gets even longer if we look at the Gospels and we look at how God defined his relationship to his people and who they are and their unique identity in the world. Scripture from start to finish highlights that, that there's this really important relationship and understanding that we have with money and how we are generous. It's really easy, I think, to always exempt ourselves from the conversation of how to be generous but for the sake of the good news of Jesus, it requires all of our response. Uh, John Howey says this. He says, we read the gospel as if we had no money. And we spend our money as if we know nothing of the gospel. So I... To be honest, this, this scripture passage that was read for us from 2 Corinthians, 
I almost didn't preach from it solely because of the line that says, for God loves a cheerful giver. I personally, for me, when I read that, something kind of bubbled up and, and cringed a little at hearing that. And it's not because of those words in and of themselves, but it's some of the connotation, some of the baggage, some of the association that comes with that. And I'm mindful, I'm cognizant that many of us hear those words, perhaps some of us who have grown up in church, and we know the kind of what it is to hear those words with a forced grin of passing an offering plate because you're supposed to be cheerful when you're giving. And that's, it's a very, this, this verse or that line just feels very churchy to me. But as, as I read more this passage and uh, was getting familiar with what is going on in this letter and the context, the backdrop of what's happening for Paul in this letter to the Corinthians, I think actually there's something profound in this for us. The backdrop of this letter of Paul is the people of Corinth, and he's appealing to them because there were Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that were suffering from a severe famine. And so Paul is out, he's raising money among the new churches that he has started, which consists mostly of Gentiles. And he's, he's referencing uh, in this letter, and in, in other letters, he points back to this, this moment. But there's other churches like in Galatia and Macedonia, who in he, seeing the needs of those who are suffering under a famine in Jerusalem, were very quick to give. And specifically, as we'll see is written out in chapters 8 and 9, the Macedonia church was not giving out of their abundance but rather from their own poverty, they gave generously. And Paul is imploring the Corinthians to give generously like others, but worries that if they don't, it will call into question whether they even understand the gospel. This is a really central, really key issue for Paul. So I'm going to read through some of the sections of chapter 8 and 9, some of the words that lead up to what was already read for us, as it provides a helpful context. And maybe as you, as you hear this, as you listen, don't just listen perhaps as a report of someone else in another time, in another place, but hear and see the similarities of what the early church is going through to our moment here and now in history, and consider what we can learn and gain from their example. I'm going to read starting in chapter 8, verse 1, and I'm actually going to work through some of this uh, in the message version. Uh, so if you don't have that available to you, you can just listen along. But it, it gives uh, some language and, and describes things in a way that I just I found really helpful and struck me um, as I read for myself. So this is chapter 8. Um, verse 1. Paul is saying, Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to their very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of 
pure and generous gifts. Paul is saying, I was there and I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than what they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in relief of poor Christians. This is totally spontaneous, entirely, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. And the other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Maybe that last part's worth repeating. What explains all this is that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Paul goes on to implore them at, at verse 7. This continues to be in the message version. It says, you do so well in so many things, speaking to the people of Corinth. It says, you trust God, you're articulate, you're insightful, you're passionate, you love us. Now do your best in this too, to be generous. I'm not trying to order you against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love. I am hoping to bring the best out of you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. I mean, that, if you're to synthesize into one sentence, the good news of Jesus, that, that might be it. That might, right then and there, that might be the gospel. In the NIV, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It is out of the abundance of God. His generosity that he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And because that that is the very character, the very nature of God, that there is no limit to him, that he is abundant in every way, it means that he is generous in every way. And as we see and receive, experience the generosity of God, we too become generous just like God. This is why this is such an important deal for Paul. He wants to make sure that things don't get left with just good intentions for the people of Corinth. So he goes on to say, and this is verse 10, says the best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Do what you can, not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. This isn't so that others can take it easy while you sweat it out. No, you're shoulder to shoulder with them all the way. I think too often when we think about what it means to be generous, we make very conditional promises. There's a lot of if and when statements that that kind of make their way in that we think if I get that pay raise or if I get that job, then I will or when that debt is clear, then I will But in the meantime, we withhold ourselves 
from from giving giving in every in any way, or perhaps we we hold ourselves out for uh, our ideal scenario, which may actually never come. I don't, Jack Dorsey, he uh, I don't know if that name is familiar for any of us. He's the one that stirred up Twitter and Square, these massive online platforms. He recently pledged this is this is a personal pledge of his own money, a billion dollars to fight COVID. So if if generosity was mainly about the actual amount of money that we give to someone or to something, like who on earth could compare with that? Like wh- why even bother if it's if it's just about the amount? But what if it's not about the quantity of what we give, but it is about the quality of how we give? Paul is saying, do what you can, not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. He does not say, hey, it's okay. You're exempt from giving if blankety blank blank. He says, do what you can, whatever that is. And as the people of God, the question is never whether or not we will be generous. It is always a matter of just how generous we ought to be. I don't think you see anything in Scripture that would indicate that giving is conditional to our own circumstance. I think actually we've made that up to protect our own comforts. Let me, uh, let me offer this in, in super practical terms. This comes from C.S. Lewis. He says, I do not believe you can settle on how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on our comforts or luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. They ought to be things we should like, there should ought to be things we like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Let me, I I will jump to the passage that was read for us. Um, This is 2 Corinthians 9, 6, starting at verse 6. Now, I'll I'll work this from the NIV version if, if you're reading along. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Insert the smile. (laughs) I'm not doing that. (laughs) And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And it goes on to reference part of Psalm 112. It says, as is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. And it's speaking about the people of God 
Psalm 112, actually, a number of weeks ago, was a passage that some of us on the leadership team sat and prayed over, and it is what helped prompt us to say, we need to be as generous as possible in with whatever we can as a community. Let me read for you just part of Psalm 112, because it, it beautifully describes, I think, some of what we talk about when we say a, being a non-anxious presence in the world. The, Psalm 112 says this, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They will have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. As a community, as St. Clair, we, we long to be that kind of people who are, don't live in fear of bad news, whose hearts are steadfast to people who lend freely, that we give freely because we have freely received. Verse 11 says this in Paul's letter. He says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, those are of those in Jerusalem, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. The obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Our generosity is proof that the gospel is made real in our life. It is the evidence that we have, that we have received in abundance from God, and that we have much to be thankful for, things not to cling to as our own, but things to be given away. Our generosity is an expression of the gospel through our life and into the world. The message version, you know, phrases that last section in this way, verse 12. It says, carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. Moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. I wanted to offer stories of hope for us this morning, some stories that would help reinvigorate 
the role that we play as God's people to be generous people. I think normally we've become very accustomed to a news cycle that is good at shocking us every few days, jolting us with some scary reality of something somewhere that often things are they're very disconnected from our own actual experience, but we feel the effects of it nether, nether, nevertheless, <laughs> English. <laughs> but for weeks now, the news has stayed the same. It's, it's COVID every hour, every day, because nothing else seems to matter. So I, I think it would actually be very easy to become fatigued by the news and with that actually grow unknowingly complacent in our response. And it would be easy to forget some very real needs in this time. So I'd asked earlier this week on Facebook to send me any stories of generosity that you have been a witness to or that you've been a giver of or a receiver of. And St. Clair, you responded, so thank you. There's actually way more than I, what I can share all in one go right now. They range all over the place. It's, there are big acts of generosities of one institution to another organization or of small businesses sacrificially blessing other small businesses in Hamilton. But most of the things that, that I want to highlight for us are small acts of unnecessary kindness of one person to another, many things that many of us could do. I should say it was funny to see how many stories and acts of kindness involve bread. Uh, I think I'll give Wes Boss credit because I think I first heard him say it, that uh, he joked that we should be changing the line in our Lord's Prayer to say, give us this day our daily sourdough. So perhaps that's appropriate for us right now. Uh, but I, I want to highlight these stories, these examples for us. Um, and I don't mean these things just as a way of being uplifting or inspirational, because I'm not actually sure that in and of itself is very helpful. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, the test of my love for Jesus is the practical one. All the rest is sentimental jargon. So in sharing these examples of generosity, I hope that it actually grows our imagination for what could be, for what our own response could be as we are moved to action, to obedience. So here are just a few examples uh, of people, places that are connected to St. Clair that um, I'll run through very quickly. The, the list is much longer than this. So video baby monitors being donated to the hospital so patients in isolation can still connect with their healthcare providers when they are alone in the room. Sneaky co-workers doing porch droppings of homemade cookies and handwritten cards. Or dessert wars going back and forth with friends leaving freshly baked goods at each other's doorstep. Neighbors knocking on the door and asking, I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? Omas in nursing homes sharing the care packages they are receiving from their kids with other roommates who are not receiving anything. Instead of just baking one loaf of bread for themselves, one family is baking two loaves every time, the second always to give away to a neighbor. Uh, someone being anonymously given grocery store, gift, grocery store gift cards so shopping can happen without any added stress. Blessing people with food who are dependent 
on shelters and drop-ins, sending notes and prayers, just letting others know that they're being thought of. Let me, let me finish, close, with just two stories that were, that were written out that uh, are wonderfully beautiful and actually rather profound. Um, so one, uh, they both have been adapted for us in terms of uh, names and details, but one is first from 541, which is right in our backyard, and another is from overseas. The first is this, thinking of the paintings immortalized of immortalized saints, they often feel like superheroes, taking away any sense of ordinariness. I wonder if these saints in their time might have been easily overlooked and not noticed or picked out as heroes. A regular at 541, Dale lives on a fixed income and often makes use of the button system for meals. Since things have shut down to, due to COVID, he has been waking up early each morning to make and wrap sandwiches. He then loads them into a box attached to his walker and makes his way downtown where he proceeds to find people in need and give out the sandwiches. Hearing this, I, concern, I was concerned for Dale's safety as his own health is very vulnerable and confused where he gets the funds to do this and having just come in to get his own free lunch being given out at 541. He then hands me an envelope with, which reads in shaky lettering, to Cafe 541, from Dale. God bless you for the faithful work you're doing. Inside is $100, which is no small amount for someone on ODSP. He said to me, I want you to use this money to make more lunches. And with that, he rolls out a saint in our midst. And this, this story, this will be the last that I read for us this morning, comes from a friend of St. Clair who's doing work in Beirut, Lebanon, serving among Syrian refugee widows. They said, we've been giving out food packets to some 60 widows. And out of that small packet of food, one of the widows shared how she gathers her children before they start eating and prays as they break bread for their meal. She says the small amount she uses to cook for just her family has multiplied, and out of it on several occasions, they have been able to feed their neighbors and their neighbors' families. She likened it to Jesus' breaking of bread for the 5,000 and has been encouraging other widows to practice this before eating together. I hear Paul's words again. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Uh, I'll send us with a, a benediction. Um, one thing I do want to point us towards, uh, Amy Knox posted on our Facebook group yesterday uh, a video reflection on prayer, um, ways in which we can be praying right now. But really, she captured a, a really good sense of why prayer seems like 
the right response uh, for us as a community right now. So if you haven't already had a chance to listen to that or watch it, please take the time to do so. It's a beautiful reflection. Uh, I'm going to read for us Paul's words, but this is from another letter. This is his letter to Timothy, and he's capturing very much some of the um, same sense of what we've already been talking about. Uh, but would you take these words with you this week? Uh, he's saying to Timothy, on behalf of others, he's saying, don't put your hope in wealth. Just It's so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It says, be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And then it, he closes with these words. And as we've been talking about what it is to recover your life, he says, if you do this, you'll build up for yourself a firm foundation so that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. St. Clair Community Church, uh, you might not be going outside because it's raining right now, but uh, may you go in peace as you move on this day. It's been very good to be with you. We'll see you next week.